0: Warning, binge mode contains adult content. What does Hermione mean when she says that Victor is a physical being? This and more questions will be pondered during this episode of Binge Mode. So if that's not your thing, please check out the press box. David Shoemaker and
1: Brian Curtis. One more warning, binge mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know why Floor never got past illo Please proceed with extreme caution and now binge mode.
0: After tonight no one will ever again question my powers After tonight if they speak of you they'll speak only of how you begged for death and I, being a merciful lord obliged
1: Get up) um... <laughs> Don't you turn your back on me, Harry Potter! I want you to look at me when I kill you! I want to see the light leave your eyes! <laughs> Welcome to Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of the ringer.com. It's a great, 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 great website. Fabulous website. Joining me today, now that he's finished taking dancing lessons with Megalion herself. So grab my waist. Ringer staff writer, your headmaster, Jason Concepcion.
0: Hello, Mal. Place your right hand on my waist. It's time for Binge Mode Harry Potter, where we're exploring every facet of the Harry Potter universe. Whether you're a Hogwarts, Dermstrang, or Baba Afan. fan, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us five points, five stars for Binge Mode. Yes. Please feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. And join our Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans and which is a great place to debate why Dumbledore keeps... Flesh-biting candy in his office. Weird move.
1: There's just no need. There's no need. You know how many things they sell Honey Honeydukes that don't bite? On yesterday's Binge on Harry Potter, we concluded our discussion of the Goblet of Fire book by exploring how truth shapes chapters 35 through 37. And on today's episode, we're diving into the Goblet S. film adaptation. Yeah, we are.
0: <laughs> it's a
1: movie. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge, as always, while the fourth Harry Potter movie is today's primary focus. We will be going deep, deep on details from all seven books and eight films and the wider Potter canon.
0: Oh, I love that. Chudley (laughs) canons.
1: Taking the entire series into account from the moment Neville puts on his dancing shoes. So grab your parchment and your quill. Think up a new school because it's time to put our names into the Goblet of Fire.
0: Mal, the house of binge mode has commanded the respect of the podcasting world for nearly 10 centuries. I will not have you in one episode besmirching that name by behaving like a babbling, bumbling band of baboons. I will have you recite plot points. So let's offer up a very brief refresh on what actually happened in Goblet, the film, by climbing aboard the scarlet steam engine of plot, the Hogwarts
1: Express Choo Choo. Harry, Ron, Hermione are back for their fourth year and oh god what happened to their hair it looks great (laughs) run
0: run let's fucking just get out of block party
1: fred and george might take the cake for the hair
0: in goblet fred and george i mean they're working it though they're like an an oasis cover band
1: (laughs) it's a very
0: weird look for fred and george Anyway, at the Quidditch World Cup, after a troubling pre-Cup dream from Harry, a Death Eater attack sends attendees scrambling, and the reappearance of Voldemort's dark mark sends ripples of fear throughout the wizarding world.
1: Back at Hogwarts at last, students from Durmstrang and (laughs) arrive for the Triwizard Tournament, the legendary fabled Triwizard Tournament. Of age students only. Sorry, Fred and George. Rubbish! And someone has entered Harry's name, making him, shockingly, the fourth champion and raising concerns about what nefarious plot would have led that to be. Meanwhile, hormones rage yes. like dragon's fire
0: <laughs> throughout the season, but notably at the Yule Ball. Harry performs well at the three tasks of the Triwizard Tournament, and he arrives at the Cup <laughs> at the same time as fellow champion Cedric Dur- He arrives, he does okay. He doesn't die. <laughs> He's got help. He doesn't die from the, from the dragon. Gets through the second task and shows his moral fiber. That's right. And in the third task, he does okay. I mean, it's like, you know, there's stuff that happens. And then there's that really weird, like, almost scrum. For, like, they're going for a puck against the boards or something. And
1: then which, I'm prepared to ride hard for that moment. And get then, ready. And then they get
0: there at the same time.
1: <laughs> but the cup is a portkey, which transports them to a graveyard. Where Wormtail and itty-bitty baby Voldy...
0: Oh, wait. I love that little nub of Voldy, but Cedric is murdered right in front of Harry's eyes. Voldemort is returned to full strength by an unholy ritual involving Harry's blood.
1: They duel, and Harry just manages to escape after the twin cores of their wands do something funny. Yeah, back at school, Mad-Eye Moody,
0: the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is revealed to be Death Eater, Barty Crouch, Jr.
1: in disguise. (laughs) Dumbledore eulogizes Cedric, sends the students home for the summer. Heavy hearts, heavy minds. And on the castle grounds, Ron is just like, I'm not going to write to you this summer. But Harry and Hermione. Weird weird choice by Ron. (laughs) No. Harry and Hermione agree that nothing will ever be the same. Jason. Yes. Your attention, please. I'd like to say a few words. Eternal glory. That's what awaits the binge mode listener who wins the Triwizard Tournament. But this listener must survive seven awards. Seven extremely dangerous awards. Wicked. If you'd like to hear us discuss every beat of J.K. Rowling's masterful Goblet of Fire plot, we encourage you to please check out the eight episodes that we posted this week and last on the book. Today, we are going to focus on the film mostly as an adaptation and also as a standalone work by handing out some Superlatives. Some house points. Dishing out seven awards, because seven remains the most powerfully magical number. Let's talk first, Mm. as we so often do. Yes. Again, we have eight book episodes where you can hear us talk about themes. Please check it out. Let's talk about the big idea of the Goblet of Fire movie.
0: Well, I think clearly the big idea is the end of childhood, maturation, and, you know, Going into those those teenage years, I think if there's a reason that many, many people who have not read the books, but who have engaged with Potter Fiction through the movies like this movie, mm-hmm. I think I'd be willing to bet a lot of it is because of that step into the teenage years and the end of childhood that is pretty explicit throughout this film. That's my guess.
1: Both like in lighthearted fashion and in more serious fashion, you have- You know, the introduction of a lot more teen angst and romance with the Yule Ball and the idea of asking somebody out on a date and what that means and what that does to you when you're a teenager. We see the romantic feelings budding between our heroes and them having really no idea how to act on those or even process those emotions. And then the film also brings action. People like it a lot, I think, because it feels like an action movie with the tournament. And then you're balancing the romance and the action with the heaviness and the weight of the climax of Lord Voldemort's return to his body, Cedric's death, Voldemort's duel with Harry in the graveyard, Harry seeing the echoes of Cedric, of his parents, the moment when Harry brings Cedric's body back and how he refuses to let go of him. And then everything that unfolds from there, the nature of revelation, you know, the the last couple themes we explored in the book podcast were innocence, lost, and truth. And when the film is at its best, it's leaning into exploring those concepts. What is really happening in the world around you? What is the truth of your existence? And what does it mean for you in the here and now and in the future when you finally have to accept the gravity of that? Prisoner of Azkaban obviously does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of making these films feel more adult and less saccharine, less straightforward, which would be some of the criticisms that people who aren't interested in these movies or weren't interested Mm -hmm. in the first couple would levy against them. And I think Goblet continues along that path of saying, you know, again, we reject, fundamentally reject the idea that labeling something a kid's story is a bad thing, can be a wonderful thing, but... This movie does a lot of work in saying this isn't just what you might think of negatively as a quote-unquote kid's story. There are adult themes here. There are heavy concepts. You're talking about life and death mm-hmm. and purpose. What's heavier than that?
0: Yeah, I think, like the book, we open the film with really nightmarish scene and a murder, flat-out murder. So that kind of call to more adult themes, childhoods, and happens right away and then the lean into the teenagehood Mm -hmm. the hormones raging ron and hermione it's much more on the surface in in the film which is i think frankly one of the things i kind of liked yeah um it's it's much more subdued you're really not sure it's hard to to read ron's intentions and i don't think ron can even admit to himself that he likes hermione in the book it's much much more difficult to get there. But in, in the film, Rupert Grint is great, first of all. Best actor of the three. And then, you know, every time it's like Hermione's with Crumb, every time he sees her, when he finds out she's going, and just the looks on his face, it makes a lot of sense. And then he even manages to somehow make that kind of oafishness of Ron throughout the Yule Ball much more amusing because, like, he really feels like a real teenage boy who's just like his... Feelings are out of his control, right? And he has no idea what to do.
1: There are. Cer- this is a great point. There are certainly plenty of moments where Gobbler Fire movie Ron still acts like a jerk. Yes, but yes, you I think are more empathetic toward him because you're watching this play out, and you're like, he just has no idea how to deal with what he's just now realizing he might want. Yes, and speaking of Ron and thus Hermione, I think in some ways, maybe the line that best sums up and is most emblematic of the theme and of the movie's mission to establish that theme and to pivot the film franchise in that way is at the very end, when our three besties are hanging out and chatting, exploring the castle grounds, and Hermione says, everything's going to change now, isn't it? I hate Harry's response to that, which is just like a weird nod as he says, yes, really.
0: I actually hate that ending writ large. I think it's like a really, it's like a weird smudge on what should be an emotional high point with Cedric's with like an
1: okay, remember Cedric speech. That one specific line, just in terms of what it messages, everything's going to change now, isn't it? I mean, the answer to that is yes, for the characters, for the books, for the movies, for the story and its role in popular culture. It's tough for me because
0: Hermione is the smartest, the most driven, sees the board the best of the three. So what you have here is Voldemort returned to life and a popular student at the school murdered in cold blood. And Hermione needs to say out loud, everything's going to change now, isn't it? It's like, come on. Well, that's how movies work. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's the the issue. (laughs) That's the the problem. (laughs) Yeah, that's part of the problem. (laughs) Um, So I kind of hated that. But yes, that is the, this is in a lot of ways an inflection point you know, to the front lines of a battle. Like the battle has been more or less in the background over the course of these movies and it will come increasingly to the foreground in the in the movies that follow.
1: It is interesting to think back to this moment in time and wonder how many people who maybe hadn't read the book were genuinely shocked yeah. by the fact that a student was killed in the film, that by Cedric's death and what that represented and by how serious and dark the story was going to be moving forward and that really and was childhood's end literally, literally childhood's yes. end yes and yeah. i think what in terms of what that represents for harry and the effect it has on him you know we will see thestrals in yeah. the next film we talked about this a bit on the book podcast but you see the way that witnessing firsthand cedric's murder fundamentally and instantly alters something about harry forever Harry's parents were murdered when he was a baby. He's lived his whole life with this crippling understanding of what loss means and how loss defines you. He, as you noted, the movie opens with him seeing a murder in his dream, but he doesn't understand what the dream represents or what it really means. And the tragedy, of course, of his parents' death is that he doesn't remember life any other way. And so Cedric's death for him, even though Harry has been defined by death in so many ways, Cedric's death is an undeniable turning point in his life where he had to literally look death in the face.
0: I We're going to talk about this a little bit in the Best uh, Worst Movie Changes, which is the next segment. But the one of the changes that I really liked that falls right in line with this theme is the decision to focus on Amos's grief after Harry returns with Cedric's body after the third task comes back after the duel. And the camera goes to him, stays on him for a while. You get that kind of low shot of him, like, screaming to the heavens, cradling Cedric's body, and that the sound carries over the rest of the shots as they kind of pull away. And I thought that was maybe the most... uh, grueling outpouring and depiction of emotion in the movies to date. Mm-hmm. And really a good choice. If I had to pick one change, the the best single change for me.
1: Okay, so well, let's use that as our yeah. as our transition to yeah. the next category, which is best book to movie change and worst book to movie change. Initially, when we conceived of this category, we were each supposed to pick one. Um, spoiler alert, we didn't. Yeah. So we both had Amos mm-hmm. and his... just entire character rendering in the film, high up on our list of best changes. And that is in part because... I think that was smart. Very tough hang in the books. (laughs) When he first meets Harry, when when they're gathering for the Porky in the book, he's boasting about how Cedric beat him at Quidditch the prior year. There's the really painful, though again, justifiable from Amos' perspective, but painful moment when... Amos challenges Harry ahead of the third task about Rita Skeeta's article and Cedric not being acknowledged as a champion and just all these moments where Amos is pitted against Harry in a way that does make you think of him as this guy you sort of don't want to be around and not a very sympathetic figure. And then, of course, he needs to be a sympathetic figure at the end. So when he's shouting, my boy, that agony in his voice, it is a really powerful moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, What else did you like? So do we agree that that's our best? That's the best change. I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's there you know, are all, partially because there are very few. You're always looking for those scenes that carry their weight in a in a way that they convey more than just what you're seeing. And I think that's a scene that does it. It sets the stakes for the entire story. It gives you emotional heft. It draws out something from the rest of the characters. Um, and and that's why that scene is good. And that you know doesn't exist. Anymore.
1: One other thing, you know, we always talk about the failings of the ministry and the wizarding world at large in the books between Mm -hmm. wizarding wars, you know, from when Voldemort fell to when he rises. The failure to really prepare their children for what had happened and what could possibly still be to come. And one of the things you need to understand as a reader or a viewer is the impact. The Mm -hmm. impact of Voldemort's actions on the families. It's one mm-hmm. of the reasons that we love the Dark Mark chapter in the book so much because even though it's wild to think that Ron Weasley, who grew up in the wizarding yes. world, wouldn't know what the Dark Mark is, wouldn't know what Voldemort's sign is, it's really gripping and compelling to hear Mr. Weasley, to hear Arthur, explain what seeing that would have done to somebody yes. and watching Amos grip on to Cedric and weep over his dead son gives you something similar. Another change we agree is positive, no Quidditch. It's great. We get some intros, but no actual match. We get some good flying and, you know. The movie feels so rushed and the Mm. pacing of it is so problematic so often, especially in the opening 20 to 30 minutes where they're cramming hundreds and hundreds of pages into just mere minutes of rushed action and not wasting a second on a match featuring people that other than Chrome, we don't you know, it's, we don't know or care about is, I think, a smart call.
0: And a. I think that's an interesting point. Steve Kloves, who's the screenwriter, originally thought they were going to do this book as two movies, like Hallows. So it does make sense that everything just feels so slapdash because he
1: looked at the material and thought, this should be two movies. It should be a 10-episode <laughs> television season. I mean, well, okay, just going off that, take a, a little moment here. Do you like this film? <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, it's hard— I, Having read the book, the book is such a masterpiece, and the movie makes so many decisions that undercut what make the book special. Right. We've talked about this off mic, but on a micro level, a lot of the changes they made and a lot of the decisions they make make sense when you're thinking this needs to work as a movie. Mm -hmm. Got a signal that Mad Eye is uh, Barty Jr. in disguise. There's got to be clues, the visual clues, so people could see that. And I guess they came up with lip licking, which becomes just weird All these other things that they did. But then when you put all that stuff together, it doesn't work as a whole for me. And then, especially in this story, the secondary characters like Ludo, like Winky, they carry so much weight for the plot. And to take them away and move the load of moving uh, the narrative forward to different places, it just kind of negates what is really magical about the story in book form for me.
1: Yeah, I obviously agree <laughs> um this is my favorite book of all time and i occasionally you know as a result of that find myself saying things like this movie is a uh, bastardization of a sacred text you know i think I, th- I i i understand i am capable of separating myself from the material and my affection for the book to say If I hadn't read the books, I would see why this was, like, an enjoyable movie-going experience. Um, I think it's a fun film. I think there are things in the movie that are great and really well done, but the book is such a soaring, towering achievement Mm -hmm. of pace and plotting and world-building and character development and every single clue and breadcrumb actually leading you somewhere meaningful in the end and it almost like actively steers away from it, yeah. um, which we can t- we'll we we'll talk about more in detail when we get to the the worst book to, to movie changes. But, you know, this was also the first, for me, this was the first book that I had read before seeing the films. You know, mm-hmm. I saw the first three movies and then I read all the books that were out to that point and then read the books over and over and over again and became obsessed. And so... I was really excited for this movie to come out and the build up for it. I remember this was like one of my first experiences going kind of frame by frame in a trailer and trying to figure out what everything was going to mean and how they were going to do it and get really invested in casting choices and... I, I just vividly remember the feeling of sitting there in the theater and like seeing Barty Crouch Jr. in the opening scene and just like why? my heart's yeah, plummeting like, through my body. When I went back and once I understood what they were doing and watched it a couple more times, it, was, it found it like slightly more palatable. But this and Half Blood Prince are always the movies that I struggle with the most, just because of the the omissions and the changes. They're so, just—it's an eternal struggle for me.
0: Uh, should we go to the worst or should we do? Let's somewhere? hit a couple other best couple ones other best quick ones? because
1: it's listen. Binge Mode is about celebration and positivity. Sure.
0: Uh, the Ron McGonagall dance.
1: Yes. Fabulous. That whole scene, which is not in the in the book at all. It's, it's just a movie book. invention.
0: It's uh it's canon to me now.
1: Yeah. I feel similarly. It's first of all, it's just great to get any Maggie Smith, any McGonagall in the yes. movies. There is such a delightful rendering of teen awkwardness yeah. in that entire sequence, and also the idea of like Harry, who is In close proximity to that scene, feeling a lot of keen angst and insecurity himself. Mm -hmm. Just right away being ready to rag on Ron when Ron is the one in the uncomfortable situation. That just feels like very true to life. I love that scene. It's wonderful.
0: Here's a thing I really liked. Uh, Excited Karkaroff when he enters the stadium Mm -hmm. and he's like, yeah, crumb, crumb. And he's like doing that like soccer hooligan thing with the two arms. It's like, that's great. I can't stand movie Karkaroff. I thought that was great. It's just nothing like he's supposed
1: to be. I just like that I'm riding for my guy extremely hard <laughs> thing. That part feels right. I wish we had gotten a moment where he yelled at another Strength student for having food on his robes. <laughs> uh, speaking of robes and, and wizarding wares, another change that I like is this idea of having uniforms mm. for the Triwizard Tournament. You know, there are a couple of descriptions throughout the... Books of Harry just being in his robes, like he's just in his robes, his regular robes, doing these tasks. And I like the idea that they would have merch, you know, that they would yeah. have custom garb. And I love like the little like wand holster for the second yeah. task. His little like swim trunks and the the like flame retardant cape that they're wearing to face the dragons. It's great. It it unites him and Cedric against the other champions because even though they're wearing obviously respectively their Gryffindor and Hufflepuff colors, like they are wearing Hogwarts uniforms. Yes. I like that. I like that moment when after Cedric puts his name into the goblet, Ron gives him that really like thirsty little like Rupert Grint really lays it on. I watched this movie and I was like, Rupert Grint's going to be a star for decades. He has. Maybe I shouldn't cover pop culture. The comedic.
0: (laughs) He does so much with his face. Oh, yeah. And he's also, of all of them, clearly unafraid to be like, yeah, I'll just do this thing that makes me look like a doofus because it's great. Oh, totally. He's all in. He's Whereas the rest of them are so much more reserved, you can really feel like the weight of... Listen, I would just, if you're Harry Potter, I guess you've got to maintain a certain dignity. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But Rupert Grint is just laying it all out. Lays it all out. Like, I'm going to make a really wild face when I see Hermione. When I see Crumb, I'm going to almost
1: wink at him. Like, yeah. incredible stuff. And that, what you just mentioned there about him and Crumb, that's yeah. why I like the moment <laughs> with Cedric. Because... You know, in the book, Ron is just, like, out on Cedric. He's, yeah. you know, just like everyone else. is like, ah, this fucker beat us at Quidditch, not into it. And also, he keeps, many times, he's like, he's just a pretty boy. You know, people only like Cedric because he's handsome. And it actually feels really true to me that Ron, as in the movie, would be like, you're popular and people like you. Yeah, You're going to be famous because you might be the champion. Wave to me. Yeah. I want you to know who I am. Also, that that I little, want your shine, that little
0: touch right in that same scene where... The Hufflepuff students are with Cedric, oh. and they kind of, like, oh, jostle him and push oh, him forward, like, great. go do it. Do it, man. Lot of, I Just will, how much they—like, su- the, that tells you so much about how much they support him
1: and what a hero he is to Hufflepuff House. The director, Mike Newell, one thing he does really well in this film is capture British boarding school yeah. vibes. And those moments, the Hufflepuffs pushing Cedric, a lot of like like little shots in the background of people either being joyful or horny or despondent at the Yule Ball. Like all of that just feels like being at school or camp or something with your friends. I, I, I like all that as well. I give you one more. This is not in the books. Even though there's a lot of specific character study and line reading choice choices in the scene that I find abhorrent, I like the idea of the scene existing. And it is the scene between McGonagall, Snape, Moody, and Dumbledore. In Dumbledore's office when Dumbledore is sitting over the pensive and yeah. he keeps pulling thoughts out of his head. And it's just the teachers. It's just them. No Harry. Not from Harry's perspective. Discussing Harry. Discussing what is going on. Worrying and wondering. I just like the movie because it can. Yeah. Giving us access to something that Harry doesn't see. And also... And there's that moment in there where McGonagall is challenging the assertion of the group. She says, "You're going to offer him up as bait," mm. and I found that rewatching it, I was like, "Whoa!" Because that's really almost frighteningly prescient in terms of Dumbledore's actual plan with Harry and how he needs to discover on his own that he is the seventh Horcrux, so that he will walk into the forest. So, I, 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 I thought there was some interesting stuff at play there. Also, obviously. Fred and George, because Ludo was not in the film, which is a shame, but because of that, Fred and George just running the gambling lines at Hogwarts, taking the action ahead of each task. That's that's a great little movie invention, I think. I got one more. Yeah. And I think we disagree on this. We do. And I am not totally sure I believe this okay. myself. But, like, I put this in a couple different categories as we were prepping. And ultimately decided that I at least like that the movie tried to explore this. And it is. Harry and Cedric aggressively battling each other in the maze at the end when they see the cup. The way that when they round that corner and the cup is glistening in the distance and Harry says, yes. And you just know that he wants it. And he has this longing. And, and that internal monologue of his is conveyed when he allows himself in the book to think, what if I won? Yeah. But then the way that he and Cedric are pushing each other against the hedges and elbowing each other out of the way and really genuinely trying to both win to beat the other one to the cup. And then when the roots pull Cedric yeah. and trap him, there's the moment where the sound and the the direction, the cinematography change. And we get that close-up shot of Harry as his face turns. And it kind of have like a Luke Skywalker, will right. he be tempted he, by right. the dark side vibe? And I don't know. Like, even though that's not what I want out of Harry as a character at all. And I want to be very clear about that. I found it like a successful and well-executed movie moment.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of Harry's competitiveness coming to the fore. Yes. I I in fact, it's something that I wish was more on the surface in the books and less subtextual Mm -hmm. that said it's like my main issue with that scene is that Robert Pattinson is like eight inches taller than Harry and like, and, (laughs) and bigger and would push Harry once and Harry would fly into the bushes. And then that that would be that like the fact that Harry resists this shove from a guy who's like older and bigger than him. And then, Tries to shove him back, and then they hold their own against each other. It doesn't make any sense to me. Harry's scrappy though. It doesn't. I don't care. You the can be instincts scra- born of a seeker. You can be as scrappy as you want. Who is he David fucking Eckstein? Like, <laughs> like.
1: oh my god! Consecutive pause. <laughs> with a baseball reference from <laughs> <I'm> you. So- <laughs> Good lord! This is, it's an athletic Fame contest. Yankee fan. Jason a <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's just that that part of it, it was tough for me. Like, when they go back and forth, it's like, come on. Like, Cedric would just fucking own this kid. Interesting. Okay. he just bully this guy.
1: I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. I guess, you know, in the book, it's just instant right. after they end up in the same pathway. And then the spider attacks. Yeah. And Harry is injured and he's down and he just he just says, take it. And he right. feels like shit about it. He's like, right. I, you know, I can't believe after all this that yeah. he's still going to win just like he won Cho. I don't know. I liked that they both really wanted it. I I like that you felt that hunger, especially because part of the tragedy of it is looking back and thinking, like, what was this all for? Yeah. And, you know, Harry didn't have a choice, but Cedric did. And I like seeing that fire in him. I also obviously love, in the book, the way it is positioned where You see what it costs him to say to Harry, no, you take this instead. You see what he's giving up. So I certainly am not saying I prefer it to the book. In general, I think the third task is like a mess. What is in the maze? There's nothing in the maze. It's just just hedges. And they have that whole line from Dumbledore at the beginning about like people change in the maze and like you're really you're you're facing yourself. That was bizarre because then (laughs) none of that occurred. You're facing yourself because we don't have the CGI budget to put in the Sphinx and the Riddle and the Spider so you're going to face your inner demon instead. Like what? Let's use that as a jumping off point for the worst. And I'll just, uh, you know, we like every now and then to give everyone a peek into the, the prep process. And so I just wanted to share that this morning, preparing for this podcast, was watching the movie, I was chatting with Kate Halliwell. Sure. Wonderful ringer employee, just a delightful human being. And we were chatting about Goblet and what we were going to talk about on the pod. And I realized that I was, at that point, 16 minutes into the movie and had already listed 13 worst <laughs> book-to-movie changes on the outline. So that was alarming. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll agree about a lot of these. We can, we can go long on some and we'll go rapid-fire on others. Can we agree that the worst book-to-movie change is completely undercutting and bastardizing the Barty Crouch Jr. reveal? It's up in my top three. I
0: don't know if I put it at the top, top. I have other issues. But yes, that is bad. It's bad. So he's out, right? There he is in Little Hangleton helping to kill Frank. And then he's at the World Cup just walking around. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think there are two ways to assess why it's terrible. One is is what you just outlined, which is basically just what it means for the characters and the people in the world. Right. He
0: just came, it's like, it's almost as if he, like, parachuted into this story. Yes. From nowhere, with no context, like, where did he yes. come from? Correct. He's, how did he get
1: out of Azkaban? Is there anybody looking for him? Like, and then he's just there? Well, none of those questions are answered, right. which is part of the tragedy of it, but— I think the other thing is just what it means for the audience. And, you know, there are a million things that make Goblet of Fire an incredibly special, impressive book. The climax in particular is just genius. It's brilliantly executed. You can look at it and say every single choice made perfect sense in the moment and played with what you thought was true in the moment and also retrospectively holds up perfectly in light of the ultimate twist and obviously the bulk of the climax hinges on Harry getting to the graveyard and Voldemort returning to his body but realizing that Barty Crouch Jr. has been impersonating Mad Eye Moody all school year that is a brilliantly incomparably structured staged and executed plot twist and the fucker is in the first scene of the movie I will never forget what it felt like to see him Pop up three minutes into the film, I was shocked and appalled. And then all the steps along the way, the fact that you mentioned he's at the Quidditch World Cup and yeah. he, when he casts the Dark Mark, like Harry sees him. Now he will. They will go out of their way later, shortly thereafter, to have Harry say that he didn't see his face. But right. still, like he sees a guy. There's no mystery yes. about he's the fact just, that a man. He's just did running that. around. Also, just by the way, just the setting of that scene, like, did everyone fucking die? Yeah, where it's is a every- ruin.
0: There was a hundred thousand people, and then they're
1: gone, the and it's just site like is a burned
0: ruin. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, we have to spend a minute talking about the tongue thing it's i,
0: I that's a good example of the micro versus macro thing. I could see them worrying, well, this is was originally a story for kids. What if they don't get it? What if it's confusing? then all of a sudden? This character turned out to be this other character the right. whole time. What so if So we need to
1: tell. But what if it's so obvious that it ruins the it's, entire twist? It's just like unreal. <gasps> they have Brendan Gleason as Why Moody is he doing it? Do it constantly. And then when when you see David Tennant's Barty Crouch Jr. do it in the pensive memory, there's just anyone who's paying an ounce of attention to the film has solved it at that point well before the actual (laughs) reveal which is like maddening a funny moment in the movie is when Moody is like I hope you're not trying to talk Potter into a ministry internship (laughs) that makes me laugh but then he does imposter Moody Bardi does the tongue flick thing and Crouch Sr leans in and stares at his mouth for like 19 minutes. Awful. Again, if you're a viewer paying any attention, you're going to be like, something's up with that. They want me to pay attention to that. Why? Oh, I got it. It's just so heavy-handed. And then when in the in the memory, when Junior is like, hello, father. Uh, do you, I wonder if... <laughs> just do you, the think, microphone do you think Mike Newell
0: was like, <laughs> uh, David, slamming. that's good. Uh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> Listen, let's try it again. And... Uh, could you really just make it fucking nuts? <laughs> just really amp it up, like crazy, crazy,
1: crazy, crazy. Yeah, like really turn it on. We're going to remove all the emotion about the <laughs> long bottoms from this scene. So re- what we need instead is a lot of tongue action. I know.
0: It's, it's even more troubling to wonder if like the opposite was the case. If he was like, David, okay, let's pull it back. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's the one they use. Let's pull it back a little bit, Dave. Oh, my God. Pretty good. Yeah, what what I'm looking for is as soon as the camera
1: falls on you, we know you're a bad guy. (laughs) I want that on your face, man. Do Do you see, when you look at the dark mark, when you look at the concept art for the dark mark and the tattoo we've placed on your arm, you see the length of the serpent coming out of the skull. That's how long we want your tongue to be when you flick it out of your mouth. And now a brief break for a word from our sponsor. Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time.
0: With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your
1: natural geometry. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night and it's delivered right
0: to your door in a small how do they do that sized box with free shipping and returns in the u.s
1: and canada but the best part is that you can be sure of your purchase casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on a trial after all you spend one third of your life
0: sleeping so you should be comfortable i received my casper mattress some months ago the box was easy to open and it's very comfortable
1: Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash binge mode and using binge mode at checkout.
0: That's casper.com slash binge mode. Offer code binge mode for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms
1: and conditions apply. And now back to binge mode. The other part about this that is painful is the polyjuice element of it. The polyjuice clues are so obvious your yeah. boy Seamus,
0: <laughs> he has one good line in this. I'll just say
1: <laughs> he like makes out with the egg. That's he grabs his hair. And, like, mm.
0: and then he has at the dock said something about the water. What <laughs>
1: are you hanging out with him? And then like Harry jumps out. You know what I like about that moment <laughs> when they're like when basically like I can't see. Yeah, and it's like yeah, maybe plan the tri-wizard tasks in a way that any spectators can see a single thing happening in any of the tasks. Like, if the dragon stays chained, then you can see that part. But once the dragon flies away, nobody can see anything. They can't see under the water for the second task, and they can't see in the maze. Yeah, it's like... Uh, Why are people showing up to watch this? It's really a poor spectator sport. Give me an underwater around. HD feed instead. But the Polyjuice thing, so Seamus says, when we're introduced to Mitty, what's that he's drinking, do you suppose? Yeah. And Harry's like, I don't know. But I don't think it's pumpkin juice. So okay, right away. Pay attention to what he's drinking. And then, man, the Myrtle Harry bath scene does not play well yeah, in it's 2018. A li- it's a little very tough a stuff. A little off. Very tough stuff. It's like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ah. <laughs> There's a big man. And she specifically mentions polyjuice. She's like, I, I was, you know, swung around a drain. Polyjuice, spit up to your old tricks. You're not being a bad boy. So again, a deliberate, distinct polyjuice mention. And then the Harry Snape Veritaserum threat scene is fairly well rendered, but Snape goes out of his way to say, you and your little friends are brewing polyjuice potion." And believe me, I'm going to find out why. So again, there's just no ambiguity about the fact. And I think your larger point is right. They probably say Polyjuice hasn't been in these movies since. What if they forgot? Yeah. What What if they forgot how this magic works? Fine, but like, just be a little more subtle. Good God. And we do get a moment right after one of the tongue flicks where we get a a potion drink, and then Moody saying that Harry's the only one who survived. Levada cadaver and staring at him as he's flicking his tongue and drinking the polyjuice. juice. It's just all too much. Remember when he threw the fucking piece of chalk at Seamus?
0: <laughs> like, I was wild. wild. What is happening? <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, in terms of just the, the crouch reveal being botched, the moment when Harry is in Moody's office getting some first task prep advice and the trunk shakes yeah. violently. It's like, and we come hear on. A it's like, ah, what it, is that? It, he's like, should I be concerned about that? Oh my God. wouldn't even bother telling you what's in there. You wouldn't believe me if I did. But come on. All right. Oh, my God. Okay. So the other, the 1A, 1B of the worst book-to-movie choices for me, and I think this might be your number one. I'm excited to, to find out where this mm-hmm. ranks for you. Say it with me. One, two, three.
0: Did you I, I I zoom out a little bit. That is included in my number one worst. Everything to do with Dumbledore. His characterization, the way he's depicted, Gambon's choices, the way they, you know, like some of that falls on the director. And I book Dumbledore, obviously, is very cagey, knows a lot, maybe not as much as he thinks he does, but he plays all that close to the vest. Uh, Movie Dumbledore is just confused. He Mm -hmm. doesn't really know what's going on in the school, is absolutely befuddled about things that are happening, doesn't know why stuff's happening. Uh is getting owned left and right. Like, yes, the, the Goblet of Fire thing is bizarre, and the way he, like, runs in front of Karkaroff and and, and Madame Maxine to grab Harry, like, he's just so fucking pissed. But it, he's just kind of like a dumb granddad in this, and it doesn't work. It, he just seems so, like, out of touch, which... Again, I kind of get where they're coming from, Yeah, but it just,
1: it doesn't play. Yeah. There are a couple moments where I think the film captures his oddity in a really compelling way. And I think there are a couple moments where some of the risks that they take or some of the choices that they make that you're describing could be really effective, specifically in how they attempt to capture his vulnerability. Like the chat that Dumbledore and Harry share after Harry goes into the pensive. Yeah there is something in his mannerism and in his visible inadequacy in that moment that I would actually have liked to see the movies explore more. Interesting, yeah. But I think the way that it's done is off. And then, I mean, I I made my feelings about the, the Gambon performance clear in Azkaban. It will not change over the course of, The series, I think that the worst moments are in this film. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire moment? It has become a punchline, but like... Yeah. We shouldn't lose sight of why it's actually such a failure. First of all, even before that, when all the kids in the hall are in an uproar about the age limit and they're all screaming, and there's the moment where Barty Crouch can't get command of the room and Dumbledore screams, screams, silence, and... It's like with venom. It just nothing about his character in the book ever once makes you think that he would speak that way to his students. And then when Harry's name comes out and Dumbledore's calling his name and calling his name and the last time he calls it again, he screams it. And it's not with concern. It's with anger. And I just don't think that that's the right emotion for the moment. The issue is
0: actually worse than that in terms of... uh his performance not matching the characterization from the book, it doesn't match scene to scene with his own characterization of the character in the movie. Yes, right. because like the Goblet of Fire scene is great. He's so pissed about it, right? Runs up to Harry. Did you do this? Is screaming his name as you noted. And then Crouch is like, yeah, well, he's the champion now. And he just surrenders. He's mm-hmm. just like, okay. And then he's quite cheerful for the rest of the movie. Not at all curious about how this happened. Like the the anger kind of just fades away, and he's just like, "Should I be thinking about how this might have occurred?
1: I guess not. Like magic, I guess you know. Like they, he's just out of touch." And that well, we get the we do get those two scenes: the one with the other teachers, and then the one with Harry, where yeah. he's, where he's basically like, "I can't, I figure this out," and I'm really worried. But even there, but then it's doubt. <laughs> but yeah. even there, it's like,
0: uh, "Duh, I don't know what's going on." Right? Listen, I, I've been critical of Dumbledore in the books, but I think that's a particular choice that. Uh, that,
1: well, that rolling made, but that stems from the opposite thing, right. which is his. And I say this with genuinely nothing but love for Dumbledore as a character. It's from his arrogance right. and Ar- saying, "I will decide who knows what and when." I, I have will this wait five yes. years for, of, through Harry's education to tell him about the prophecy.
0: This is literally a guy who just is like has no idea what's going on in his own house. You know, he just right. does not know anything that's going on. Is willing to say, "I don't know what's going on," and is just basically confused and it doesn't work I guess you could say that maybe that's why he's so angry like that's where the
1: anger comes from but it's just that it's, does, yeah the anger just never never feels true to Dumbledore to me and when he runs into the trophy room where the champions are waiting and literally puts his hands on Harry and grabs his shoulders and shakes him and throws him against the trophies and shouts at him yeah, it, it just it's such he, a this
0: is a guy who is one of the most powerful wizards in the world it, you know Arguably, the most powerful wizard mm-hmm. in the world. Like, depending on how you feel about Voldemort, we know you're pro Voldemort. Yes, <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> need to put his hands on anything. Yeah, it's so brutal. the idea that, like, in this world, you would physically grab someone. Terrible is really
1: weird. Just terrible. Next, Oof. basically cutting Sirius Black out of the movie. Yeah, that was we funny. get a letter reading and we get a log face. I think we agree. I think most people who care about this story agree that the Harry-Sirius bond is one of the pillars on which the entire story is built. It's what makes his death so devastating. And a huge part of what happens in Order of the Phoenix landing as effectively as it does is the amount of time spent in Goblet of Fire building up Sirius truly as a father figure and a friend for Harry. Sirius is the person Harry turns to in a moment of doubt and need. Sirius is the person he writes to. And especially because he doesn't have Ron at certain points in this story, Sirius is his lifeline. He is the source of trust and comfort and guidance for Harry. And that is really absent from the movie. And again, it just makes you think why not just do another film or make the. I, I, you know what? I just really, here's how I'm going to start thinking about it. I'm going to be positive. Just can't wait for this to be adapted into a television series. I can't wait. Netflix. You want our emails. We're yeah. here for you. We're ready to write your scripts. Let me give you two small
0: ones. Okay. Hagrid's hand on Madame Maxine's ass, the deal <laughs> <VO> ball.
1: <laughs> what about her eating fucking bug out of his beard or it's crumb like, out of his beard? What was that? That
0: whole thing is just c- fucking cringeworthy in the wrong way. Yes. Because it's cringeworthy in the books, but it's like because Hagrid's putting himself out there in a right. way that's like undignified. But this is like he's literally like a handsy- Weirdo. in front of everyone, he's like grabbing handfuls of her butt cheeks. We're to the point where she has to take be like, "Get your hand off my ass. Tough look for my guy Hagrid.
1: Very tough stuff. This is
0: awful. And then the pensive cabin and opening by itself. is it hard to be like, have him looking around at all this stuff and be like, what's that glowing thing? You have to literally
1: have, be, make it that obvious where it's like the cabinet is just like... Warrr. Jason, when you have fanged candy in your right. office and they jump around and attack your visitors, sometimes sure. cabinets open. Okay? Yeah, all right. I got another one for you. Sure. Where the fuck is my guy, Bill Weasley? Also, Charlie Weasley, but like really, where is Bill Weasley? Where's fucking Ludo the King Bagman? Where's Winky? That's, those are, those two Where's are tough. Where's tough. Davy's death in Deathly Hallows is like one of the most searing moments in the entire story. Right. And he doesn't come back into the films until then. Oh.
0: One more. Th- uh, no parting of the ways speech. No call to action.
1: That, I-, I think, actually damages the setup for the movies that follow. Yeah. Well, this is a problem that the films have in general. Yeah. This was a huge problem between... Half-Blood Prince and the Deathly Hallows movies where there's really almost no groundwork laid for what the exact horcrux that Harry knows about or that Dumbledore suspected are. And to not establish the rift between Dumbledore and the Ministry and Harry and the Ministry heading into a movie that is entirely based on that is wild. Yeah. Also, that scene could correct or at least counterbalance so many of the Dumbledore issues because it's such a moment of strength for him. Mm -hmm. It's a moment where you believe in him as a leader. And then the Cedric Diggory speech, the Remember Cedric speech is
0: altered. It's okay.
1: It's it's definitely one of the most emblematic scenes of how if you hadn't read the books and just saw a movie, you'd be like, this was great. Right. It's okay. But
0: why change a word of it? That's my question. Well, I have the same issue with, listen, there are certain uh, set piece scenes from the books that I thought, man, if you just render those exactly, you've got it. You've got what you need. I think a great example of that for me, is is the Voldemort reborn scene, which is good, but it's like in the book, it's bone chilling. Right. Why change it at all? And they made it, you know, they shortened it, and they made it slightly less troubling, I guess. And but it's like. You know, even like the depiction of Worm- Wormtail cuts off his hand, and then he's just, good to go. He's good to go. He's good fine. Yeah, it didn't. Co- it, it seemed to
1: cost him nothing. There was no pain involved. He wasn't screaming. He was like, "I cut it off, and I'm great." I'm really glad you mentioned Wormtail because another another book to movie change that I I actually think is really detrimental is Wormtail's general vibe. Yeah, like he always looks horny for the violence. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like and in the book he's just described so often as being repulsed by Voldemort and repulsed by what is happening around him. And it's such an important depiction because it really forces you to think about the power that Voldemort has over his people if they are this afraid and yet they cannot walk away from it. What about your girl Rita?
0: Man, that was, I don't even want to get into that. No
1: Beatle. No Animagus plot. I don't want to get into that
0: at all. That was, that sucked because now you've taken away like Hermione's biggest win. Yeah. Over the course of the story. Yes. And, and, and then with the shift in the way she's depicted, I feel like that was really a disservice done to that character. Uh, I did not like the single gender schools and then like having the weird like masculine versus feminine signaling traits. Like here come the Durmstrang guys and they're literally ramming sticks against the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the women come in
1: spreading flowers and dancing. and go, oh. yeah. Like it was like, come on. Question for you: Are you pro or anti the spew plot not being in the film?
0: I am pro for the simple fact that I feel like there's no way to handle that in the films with any kind of uh, right in any kind of way that does the topic
1: justice. Uh, so, but I, when season two of Law and Order I can't widens wait. there's going <laughs> to the
0: that. Law gonna be a lot realm. of magical
1: law realm, We'll explore that.
0: It's going to be a lot of like. Uh, You know, Kingsley and his partner arguing about this. (laughs) Can I just say one more thing then? And and then we'll move on to (laughs) I Love Magic. Uh, Dumbledore doing all the announcements. Mm -hmm. Sonorous.
1: Uh, Well, no Ludo, because they cut out our guy Ludo. But still, it's like, all of a sudden he's like Marv Albert out here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just like...
1: (laughs) I think losing... Who is this guy? The film does not have enough time to explore Ludo, but I think losing him creates actually a lot of problems, such as the one you just outlined. And I do really miss the gambling plot and their winnings being ripped away because we then don't get Harry giving them his winnings at the end. We don't get any forward momentum for the joke shop. I mean, we don't get the Dursleys in this movie. We don't get tongue-tongue Toffee and Dudley, who will milk Nagini? Who will milk? <laughs> who will milk Dudley's tongue? Rapid fire here. Ron knowing about the dragons.
0: Yeah, that was I, I, Un-
1: unforgivable choice. Un- unforgivable sure. choice.
0: Harry's dream being recurring, which like takes away Trelawney. Like, can we not get Emma Thompson
1: in here for five minutes? Wait, let's let's sidebar on this for thirty seconds. Because this is maddening, to right?
0: Me. Besides the fact that it actually functionally changes what the what right. they are, yes, <laughs> if functionally say that they're yeah. recurring,
1: that just changes the magic of what is happening.
0: Yeah. It, it doesn't track right? at
1: all with what we will actually learn about what is happening with there and the pathways between their minds. That's so. Stru-
0: yeah, but like, just get me get get Emma Thompson in here for for a day, film a five minute Trayloni scene, and let's bang this out. I strong agree. The Rita plot is Ooh. tough, especially because it's Miranda Richardson who looks fucking great. She's as, Rita. She's
1: as soon wonderful. as you see her, you're like, wow, okay. Love the moment when she says, everyone loves a rebel Harry. And then she's like, strike that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is so good. Yeah. So good. I got one more that just occurred sure. to me. <laughs> it crushes me that we don't get the Mrs. Weasley Harry moment at the end. Yeah, that was tough. Crushes me. All right, number three. The I Love Magic <laughs> Award. For best use of, depiction of, or introduction of, a new magical ability, item, person, thing, creature, you name it, new magic. Uh, I'm going to go
0: above and beyond everything else. For me, it's the Harry-Voldy duel. I thought it looked great. I love the way the beams met in the middle, kind of presaging the... Uh, Dumbledore-Voli duel and the look of that. Because you really got the power emanating from these wands, the way that this energy is almost dripping. It's like almost like liquid. And I just love the way that looked. I love the way the the kind of cage of light looked mm-hmm. when, the, when the spirits start coming out of uh, Voldemort's wand. Yeah. All of that, I thought, looked really, really, really great.
1: Um, I agree with your pick. I think it's definitely... The magic that we get to see when the wands connect, the echoes of these murdered souls emerging from the wand. I think the movies in general, the film franchise in general, very rarely lingers long on wand lore. And considering how important wand lore and the twin cores are to the story as a whole, it's really cool to get a moment where that is the focus, even if we don't get enough ensuing discussion about it. I do like the magic that we get to see in the second task. You know, the bubblehead charms that we witness for Cedric and Fleur, poorly executed, but some transfiguration for Vic the shark, (laughs) Vic the dick the shark. But I like the way that the gillyweed plot plays out on film for Harry. I think the whole way that the second task is actually structured, you know, mockery about them not being able to see anything happening underwater aside, the look of the stands out in the middle of the lake is very cool. Harry taking the gillyweed and having that moment where he can't breathe when he's just out there in the air. And then the way his gills spring up and his hands and feet become webbed, the second task begins. And it is really this fully immersive scene. It's also one of the things that I remember in the lead up to the movie when I was so excited for it, I was trying to read and watch as much as I could about it. They were doing so much like behind the scenes stuff about the second task, about this huge tank that they had to film in and how they were training for it and how they were constructing it. And I was really fascinated by that. And then it it was very cool to see that come to life. The creatures that we get to see, you know, initially, like I actually hated the way the people look because I think you have this concept in your mind as a person who cares about fantasy or stories like more people are going to be beautiful right. and like mystical and they're kind of monstrous. But now increasingly I find that that appeals to me. And I like what well, that indicates that this is really another world. You know, there's this whole existence under the water there and you just get to glimpse it for a minute. And that feels pretty cool. And then I guess, you know, the actual Goblet of Fire. Yeah, that did look great. I That's like, pretty cool. That it's very looked- different
0: than the way it's described, but yeah. in, a, in a good way. Yeah, I agree with that. That looks great. Oh, The carriage coming the Bobaton carriage coming Mm -hmm. in and the way it kind of was like rolling almost in the air. Like it looked like a really rocky ride. That was wonderful. And then the Durmstrang ship. Like those two things I thought were, were really impressive to me. Yeah, those look cool. Number four, the He Was Their Friend Award for Most Effective Snapshot of Teen Angst or Romance. There's a lot. Oh my God. But uh, listen, I'm going to go with Yule Ball in general. I liked the sudden shift into like the 10 things I hate about you teen movie kind yeah. of vibe. And I dug that. You never really see the student body cut loose. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I loved Snape and Karkaroff walking through the guards and pulling like kids out of the bushes and stuff. <laughs> that was great. That's my favorite.
1: I like everything about the Yule Ball. And everything that happens leading up to it, particularly the way that Hermione is eyeing Victor Crumb as he walks by the lake doing his lunges and his stretches. Boy, is that something to behold. The whole sequence with Harry and Ron trying to get dates is just fabulous. It's, it's obviously like totally mesmerizingly wonderful in the book. And it's Even though it is not identical in the movie, I think that whole part of the plot is one of the few times where you can say, like, I don't have that many complaints here, really, about what was lost in translation, which I think makes it a success. And just the lines and the the angst that is captured in these exchanges is so wonderful. Like, that moment when Hermione says, it might interest you to know that Neville's already got someone. And Ron goes, ah, now I'm really depressed. Like, (laughs) that's just fabulous. And then the, you know iconic moment in the books about just because it's taking you all this time to notice that I'm a girl. Scene is, is altered slightly, but it's still in the movie, which is important. And when Ron says, hey, Hermione, you're a girl. And Hermione says, oh, well spotted. And this whole scene in the movie is kind of an, an invention. They're in basically like study hall, yeah. it seems. But they're capturing the essence of it, I think, in a way that is effective. And he says and this this line from Ron is savage bullshit, but that's what makes it a good scene in the film. Come on. It's one thing for a bloke to show up alone, but for a girl, it's just sad. And then Hermione just dunks on him savagely. I won't be going alone because, believe it or not, someone's already asked me. And then she gets up and hands in her notebook and comes back yeah. for the slam. And I said, yes. And then she leaves and Ron's like, she's lying, right? It's just, I love
0: that. Um, I did like Harry Asking Cho. I just like
1: a Scottish accent. It's great. And so
0: I found her to be a delight.
1: My college roommate, maid of honor, other than you and Halo, best friend in the world, Allison Koska and I, used to recite this scene back and forth to each other all the time in college, particularly the moment when Sho says, oh, um, Harry, I'm sorry, but somebody's already asked me. And then this part is the best. And well, I've said I'll go <laughs> so- she I said, said I'll go.
0: <laughs> oh, that's the, my shame. That. Has made
1: and then he, Harry ducks into the alley and then she calls his name and he just runs out with such hope. Like that teenage boy, like, oh my God, am I about to get my chance, hope? And then she just. I, I Another, I think
0: a great depiction of of teenage years is the cattiness when Hermione walks in with Crumb also. Yeah. When people are
1: just like, Hermione Granger? See, I think that the movie is more charitable in that moment than mm. the book, actually. like you have Parvati saying she looks beautiful and you realize it's yeah. about Hermione even though Harry is looking at Cho and most people are like, damn girl. They they really could explicitly lean into the fact that Emma Watson is an
0: attractive person, mm-hmm. which is not a thing in the books that they could really do until really Goblet where she's all Hermione all of a blossoms. Um, but it's like subtextual throughout the films where it's like, wait, why don't Harry and Ron both have explicit crushes on her? Right.
1: I love the moment. (laughs) One of the moments where you realize in the film that Hermione has just matured faster than them is when Ron comes back from having botched his attempt to ask Fleur. And Ginny says, he's just asked Fleur Delacour out. And Hermione's like, what? Harry says, what did she say? And then Hermione goes, no, of course. (laughs) That's just fabulous. And then all of the Ron Hermione tension during the actual dance when Padma says, is that Hermione Granger with Victor Crumb? And Ron says, no, uh, absolutely not. Like, he just can't believe it. The entire fraternizing with the enemy exchange, I think, is is really quite well done. I'm more partial to the way they executed the Ron-Hermione fight than you are. I think you're not as into the heavy emotion of it. Yeah. To me, that last exchange when Ron says he's way too old, I just, the way this plays out feels very true to life for me. What? What? That's what you think? And he says, yeah, that's what I think. And then Hermione says, you know the solution, then don't you? Go on. Next time there's a ball, pluck up the courage and ask me before someone else does and not as a last resort. And she's like sobbing at this point. And Ron says, well, that's just completely off the point. And then he walks off after Harry comes back and Hermione sends them to bed and then she just like kind of melts into the stairs and takes her shoes off and cries. I, I like that we get to see that side of her, actually. We're, we're reminded that she's, she has feelings. Like she's always so tough and resolute because she has to be because Ron and Harry can be such idiots. And I like that she got a moment to just, I don't know. Lean into the feelings. Ron and Harry uh, whinging
0: about girls and asking girls and why are they always in packs and why is this so hard? That struck me as a real thing, even though Harry, again, you're the fucking chosen one. It's not that hard, my guy. But that struck me as real. Number five, sights and sounds. The most notable hair, costume, score, or CGI element. Man.
1: Hmm. how
0: How hard are we
1: going to go on hair right now? I mean, listen. The hair is insane. It's wild. There are a couple scenes when Harry's hair looks really good. But then there are other scenes where it looks like a wig. I actually think this is the movie where they got Hermione's hair the closest to right. But the boys, I just don't know what's happening there with any of them. It's a funny time capsule moment, though, for when like the shag haircuts were a thing. Man, but it's like they just go so extra, extra. Ron's hair is fucking crazy. Crazy. It's wild. I, it is interesting in terms of the way the film's changed, changed hands with directors. Like, There's just such a more consistent aesthetic moving forward from the fifth movie on after David Yates takes over. And you could tell one of the first things he decided when he came in was Harry needs a haircut. Yeah. Kind of wild. I think the most... Impressive. I mean, there's a lot of CGI in this movie. Again, yes. the way they they use the tank to film the underwater task. Obviously, we'll talk. We're going to talk more in a minute about the dragon. I thought. I think the most important CGI, the one that they couldn't get wrong, the, the literally entire story and the believability of this character and your ability as an audience member to take this character seriously hinged on was getting Voldemort right, and I think they did it. I was slightly, it's not necessarily what you envisioned in your mind as a reader. I mean, one thing I will say, a huge asterisk to that is not giving him red eyes, but within the logic of the film franchise where Harry Potter does not have green eyes, like the defining physical trait of the character other than his scar, once that happens, then you just kind of have to accept that. And also, Ray Fiennes is one of the most beautiful men to ever grace planet Earth and has gorgeous eyes that I would swim in forever, wow. preferably nude. And so I don't mind, you know, gazing into them. It's about the nose. Really, it's about the nose and the head and the yeah. spider-like fingers and the milk pale skin. He's great. You have to look at him and be afraid. You have to look he, at him and be afraid.
0: When he's reborn, now, I didn't like the fact that his robes just kind of appeared around him. I I think that moment, robe me. Robe me is a good moment. Is, yeah. Gives you so much about the relationship between those two characters, so I miss that. But the way he touches—he's touching his head and caressing his body and feeling his body, like, really being like, hmm, is great. Other sights and sounds.
1: Hungarian Horntail looked amazing. Fabulous.
0: Really, really, really
1: good. I'm a fan also, I usually don't love when they decide to, especially in a movie where you feel the absence of so much essential plot because of the runtime of the movie, you kind of have to say, how could you spend X number of minutes on a dragon flight that didn't need to happen and isn't in the book, right? Yeah. But... Just in terms of the sheer aesthetic of it, that's a really cool scene. And it also kind of unifies new look Hogwarts because the design, you know, they changed a lot about the castle and the layout of the grounds in the third film. And when you get to fly around like that, you kind of understand better what the layout is. And again, just in terms of like thinking back to when this film came out and the run up to it, I have so many memories of these making of videos about like. Daniel Radcliffe sliding down this roof structure that they had built for him when he was, you know, chasing his broom and, and all those things. And the dragon just really does look believable. On the one hand, I feel like a dragon is kind of like pizza. Like, it's sort of hard to fuck yeah, up. I- but on the other hand, <laughs> it's hard to make it feel different. And I actually think they do. the drag- Like, you can really picture the Goblet of Fire dragon, specifically. I think we're also like, listen, post-Game of
0: Thrones, we're kind of dragoned out. We've yeah. hit, like, max dragon. Yeah. That dragon... You have to remember like when it happened and like what the pop cultural context was. Uh, that is an impressive looking dragon and I thought that was just a really cool thing. And also like the, there is that dramatic moment when Harry speeds off after mm-hmm. like kind of like dueling with the dragon offsite and he zooms back in to get the egg and then it cuts to that's inside right. Griffin. That that's was, a great yeah.
1: moment. Yeah. I also really like even though we don't get to see the actual quidditch match, just the vibe at the Quidditch World Cup. Pre attack, pre riot, like ahead of the match, when they're walking around in the tents and the life of the Wizarding World, it kind of feels like Woodstock almost. Yeah. There's so much life in that moment, and it's one of the few times in the film compared to the book where you actually feel like you're getting to see the wider Wizarding World. And so that's pretty cool. All right, number six best quote. Man, yeah. I don't think it can be
0: anything but Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> an unbelievable movie moment it's great and just the way like miranda richards goes goes,
1: (gasps) 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 you know what here's maybe the the highest praise i can give that moment other than it being a meme and something we quote constantly i think it's so effective people actually forget that doesn't happen in the book yeah it doesn't it does not you don't have his name until you see him in front of you in that room it's pretty wild couple others you referenced the moment earlier when moody throws an object at Seamus, which is not an acceptable thing for a teacher to do. I do like the little banter there when after Moody yells at Seamus for sticking his gum on the desk and Seamus says, oh, no way the old codger can see out of the back of his head. And Moody says, and here across classrooms. I just really like that for some reason. It makes me laugh. During the Harry Ron fight, I like the bookend quotes, mm. the catalyzing argument in the dormitory. Where Harry realizes that Ron is not on his side here. And it ends with this is another scene that Alison Koska and I used to constantly <laughs> recite to each other. And it ends with Ron kind of turning in his bed and saying, piss off. And like, I think you're briefly horrified because you think Ron Weasley would never say that, but Again, that just feels very true to life, especially mm. teenage life, when you feel like your best friend lied to you about something or fucked you over in some way. And then the book end of that when Ron is, you know, botching his way through his apology and says, mm. I suppose I was a bit distraught. I just love that and think it's like really beautiful and sweet. I love this line from Hermione. Victor is a physical being. <laughs> Can I uh, quibble with that characterization of Kram as a character, though? Like, that's not really true to the crumb we know from the it's books, not. who actually is like a chatterbox and they they sort of bond intellectually. Yeah, that that change bummed me out, but is in line with what you said earlier about the broader male Durmstrang characterization. Even though the serious fireplace chat is so bizarre, I do love the line. And I, I vividly remember this from the, the trailers for the film. I'm saying the devils are inside the walls. Mm. Sort of a cliche movie line, but I think also just really it's Cliche because it's like a good line. <laughs> it's effective. And I like what it says about the story and about trust and about never knowing if the face that you see is somebody's real face, particularly in light of, you know, the, the Snape character arc and who's really on our side and, and how key that is to the story as a whole. How about Ron? There she was walking by. You know how I like it when they walk. That was a tough looking. <laughs>
0: Tough look for my guy, Ron, honestly.
1: Some great stuff with the dress robes and Ron tries to give them to Ginny and she says, I'm not wearing that. It's ghastly. And then later when Ron puts it on and looks in the mirror and says, murder me, Harry. That's one of my favorite things to say to you when I'm upset about something. Murder it's, me, Jason, it, in my Ron voice. And then there are, of course, just there are some bangers from Voldemort in the graveyard. There just are. One of the reasons he's such an effective and compelling villain. And again, to be clear, even I, I, going back to the last category, we're not saying we think Voldemort looks exactly how we think he should or is perfect, but that you take him seriously and are totally wrapped when he is on the screen, and that is what is required. When he's speaking, a couple of the ones that stand out to me. I'd introduce you, but word has it you're almost as famous as me these days. That's a fabulous one in terms of understanding their dynamic and why Voldemort went after Harry in the first place. Obviously, in the films, we know nothing about the prophecy at this point. That just shows you, I think, how power mad he is and greedy. This might be my favorite. Particularly because of the way Ray Fine says it. The boy who lived, how lies have fed your legendary. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. This is a great one. I'm going to kill you, Harry Potter. I'm going to destroy you. After tonight, no one will ever again question my powers. After tonight, if they speak of you, they'll speak only of how you begged for death. And I, being a merciful lord, obliged. The mania comes through immediately. Yeah. I wish some of the
0: neediness was also there. But yes, the mania, the sheer over-the-top evilness. Also, like, he gets the voice, that high voice. You know, it's always described as, like, this high voice. The the rasp. Yeah, where it's, uh, you know, the implication is almost like Voldemort really wants you to lean in to hear him, to, like, really work to hear what he has to say. Wants you to lean in when he says, who is to milk Nagini. And so I really, I dug that. That seemed like the most, oh, like, Ray Fiennes really did his homework.
1: Perfect segue into our final category. Who won the movie? We agree, I think, on the winner Ray or Fiennes. one of
0: the winners. I think Ray Fiennes uh, as Voldemort,
1: fabulous, had
0: to nail it, and he did.
1: It would have been one of the greatest tragedies. Is this fair to say? It would have been one of the greatest tragedies in film history if they had not gotten the Voldemort performance right.
0: It would have been devastating because you need that Darth Vader figure, and he's got to be scary, and he's got you've got
1: to really dread him. You cited it earlier, but I think one of the most effective moments in his entire performance in this movie is when he is exploring his own body, the way that he's rubbing his fingers over his face and his head. like he, He needs to feel and know that it worked. I think that just tells you a lot about those years and that gap and what he was trying to get back to and why. And... Sean Fantasy on the Big Picture podcast, which you should all listen to, often talks about characters who chew the scenery. Ray finds is chewing that scenery. And rightly so. Yes. He's having fun with it's it. A, it's not like David Tennis, Barty
0: Crouch Jr. who is chewing and it's like, okay, Mike, stop chewing.
1: No. Like not at all. stop chewing right. now. This is like, oh, you're telling me I get to be one of the biggest villains in the history of stories? Dope. Yeah. I can't wait. Put those little green dots on my nose and let's go. He just seems so into it and so in on the bit and it's just really effective. I think another winner, you gotta say, less in terms of the movie itself and more in terms of what came after, are Pats. He was great. He's really good in it. Pre-Twilight. Yeah, just launched his career. And great
0: casting. Captures that like, kind of boy-next-door humility, but also the thing that's so winning about Cedric from the book which is like, he really is
1: talented and exemplary but kind of doesn't know it. Yeah. I love the moment between him and Harry. And I I think actually Daniel Radcliffe is really great in this sequence too when Harry feels like alone and he doesn't have anybody to turn to and he tells Cedric about the dragon and Cedric says, basically, I've asked them not to wear these badges. Like that moment always makes me a little emotional. It's just very sweet. And it's one of the times where you actually do see the mutual respect and affection that they have for each other. Even though I was shocked by this casting initially because it is not at all how I pictured Mad-Eye Moody, I do think Brendan Gleeson does a great job with the character. He's another one who's just having a ton of fun. A ton of fun. I want like approximately 500% more facial scarring <laughs> they than did a Moody, good, They did a good job. I and thought. I want him to be older. But the manic energy, the ability to oscillate between the moment like where he's giving Harry advice about the first task and Harry says, I'm a fair flyer. And he says, Better than fair. You know, those moments are so endearing and make you want to lean in and trust him. And then the horror of him genuinely seeming to think it's okay to turn Malfoy into a ferret and abuse him and everything in between. He just captures all of those different levels of energy and emotion. And it's, it's just quite compelling. Well, friends. Yes. Dark and difficult podcasts lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher, faced that choice. And yet they took vacation this week anyway. So a huge thanks to Bobby Wagner and Evan Campbell for helping us face our dragon in their absence. We hope that you all had as much fun as we did today, that you were as excited as we are for the rest of this journey, and that you'll join us again soon for much more. We're thrilled to be heading to LeakyCon this weekend, so keep an eye on all of our social media feeds for some fun stuff out of Dallas, and join us again soon for another HP Extra. And of course... For our Order of the Phoenix deep dive, we will be sharing scheduling details for order very soon. Until then, remember, the niceties must be observed. Dumbledore wouldn't want you to forget your manners, would he? We said bow!
0: Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Cut! Let's uh let's really amp it up. Amp it you're mad at him. You're angry at him. Okay. Did you put your name in the goblin of fire? Cut yeah, like really run at him. Really just run at him. Like you wanna kill strangle this kid, and if it wasn't for the fact that everybody's here, you you might do it. Okay.
1: Uh I have my copy of the book here yeah. and I, I just feel compelled to note that it says quite clearly here, calmly. He said calmly.